Praise the Lord, Eastwood family. What a joy and an honor it is to be able to teach you again tonight. We began in our last session talking about the way, God's way of salvation. Isaiah talked about the way. Paul the apostle talked about the way. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Specifically, we talked in our last session about the three elements of God's plan of salvation, the three elements of the gospel and the three elements of our obedience to the gospel. We see it throughout the word of God, the three elements of blood, water, and spirit. We see it in Israel's deliverance from the nation of Egypt, blood on the doorpost, uh, walking through the water of the Red Sea, and then being led away from Egypt by a supernatural pillar of cloud and fire, blood, water, spirit. We see the same three elements in the tabernacle plan. We see blood on the brazen altar. We see water in the brazen laver. And we see the spirit, the Shekinah presence of God dwelling on the Ark of the Covenant. Those three pieces of furniture that dealt specifically with atonement of sin. Blood, water, spirit. We, of course, see the same three elements in Jesus' sacrifice for us. He died on the cross. He was buried in the tomb. And he rose again the third day by the power of the Spirit. Blood, burial, water, and Spirit. Paul talked about these same three elements in the gospel. He said, the gospel is that Jesus died for our sins. He was buried and he rose again. Death Burial, resurrection, blood, water, spirit. And on the very first day of church history, Peter preached that wonderful good news. And he talked about the same three elements. Death, burial, resurrection. Or in our terms, as we apply the gospel, repentance, baptism, and the infilling of the Holy Ghost. So I want to continue in this uh, session. We talked about repentance last time and what a beautiful thing that is. And repentance, uh, first and foremost, applies the death of Jesus to our lives. So, of course, while repentance is beautiful and powerful in its own right, it's not the end because if we leave Jesus dead on the cross, we don't have a gospel. We don't have good news. We actually have bad news. He's dead. But if we go all the way through the process, we have death, burial, resurrection. So at repentance, I apply the death of Jesus to my life. It is not a stop sign or a dead end. It is a point of obedience. And now I move on to the next step that the word of God has for me. And what I will teach you in this session is not some kind of particular denominational creed. It is not uh, the opinion of one church, but this is actually the word of God. And it is so strongly conclusive that if you've never had the experience of being baptized in the beautiful saving name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins, I encourage you no matter what religious tradition you come from, to obey, not me, but the word of God. Obey the word of God and watch God's blessing come on your life in a brand new way. It's very apparent in scripture what the last command of Jesus was. 
Because all four gospel writers summarize his last command in the closing chapters of their gospels. Matthew says it this way in Matthew 28, 19. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, look at this, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Matthew said, as you go, Jesus' last command is to go baptize people. Baptism is important. Mark says it this way in Mark 16, verse 15 and 16. Jesus said unto them, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Now, obviously, this next sentence is part of the gospel. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. Baptism is part of the gospel. Luke chapter 24, Luke records Jesus' last command this way in verses 47 through 49. And that repentance... And remission of sins, that's baptism, remission of sins. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name. That baptism, that remission of sins will come through the name of Jesus Christ. It should be preached among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And ye are witnesses of these things. And then Jesus adds, behold... I send the promise of my father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. John captures all three or Luke rather captures all three elements of the gospel there. Repentance, baptism, remission of sins in his name and the Holy Ghost, the promise of my father. John records this in John 20 verse 23. An odd statement, whosoever sins you remit, talking to his disciples, they are remitted unto them. And whosoever sins ye retain, they are retained. What in the world is John talking about there? Because it's very clear from the pages of Holy Scripture that no man can forgive the sins of any other man. No man can remit or wash away the sins of any other man except one way. When we help someone obey the gospel and we baptize them in Jesus' name, we get to have a part in seeing their sins washed away, their sins remitted. So Jesus basically says in the words of John, if you go baptize them, you help get their sins remitted. But if you don't baptize them, their sins are retained. All four of the gospel writers in recording the last words of Jesus, the last command of Jesus, they all emphasize baptism, which is the second step in obeying the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the last command of Jesus that we've just reviewed in all four of the Gospels, that last command of Jesus ended up becoming the first command of the New Testament church. And I already alluded to this. On the first day of church history, after the first sermon of church history, the first preacher in church history gave the first altar call in church history. And Peter said to them, repent 
and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So as soon as you have repented, you are now a candidate for the next step in obeying the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that step is baptism in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission, for the washing away of your sins. Now, when we talk about baptism, there are two critical elements of baptism. Uh, The theologians would call this the mode and the formula of baptism. They are both very, very critical. The mode is what is done when you are baptized. The formula is what is said when you are baptized. And they are both very critical. You need to get this right. Because Bible words have Bible definitions. You may have a church tradition that is different than mine, or mine might be different than yours. And in that church tradition, they might define baptism in a certain way. It's important to not line our eternity up with a man-made church tradition that could lead us astray. It's so important that we line our eternity up with the word of God. So, Let's review these two important, in fact, critical elements of baptism. The mode and the formula. What is done when you are baptized and what is said when you are baptized. Now, in Christendom today, there are basically two ways uh, that they would exercise the the mode of baptism. There are two ways that uh, different churches do baptism. One is by immersing people in water, and the other is by sprinkling water on people, whether that's an adult or in some churches, a baby. So these are basically the two modes of baptism that we see in the wide world of Christendom today. Uh, Baptism by immersion, putting them under the water, or baptism by sprinkling water on them. In the Greek language, Uh, Those two words, if you want to say to immerse in water, you say baptizo. If you want to say sprinkling water, you would use the Greek word rantizo. And so we want to look at both of these modes of baptism, not from a church tradition, but from the Bible. Because church tradition can very much be man-made, but the Bible is the word of God. So when we look at scripture, let's take a look first at the scripture references for the Greek word baptizo. Where in the Bible does it say to be immersed in water when you are baptized? Well, in John chapter 3 and verse 23, John the Baptist was baptizing near to Salem because there was much water there. So the reason he was baptizing near Salem was because he needed a lot of water to baptize a lot of people. So it's certainly given the reference that he is immersing them in scripture and and because there's much water there. In Acts chapter 8 verse 38, the Bible says that Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch went into the water. He was immersed in water. Acts 8.39, the very next verse, says that they came up 
out of the water. He put him under the water and then they came up out of the water. Romans chapter 6 and verse 4 tells us that we are buried with Christ by baptism into death. We are buried in water by baptism. That's how we are buried with him. It's by baptism. And then finally, Romans 6 verse 5 says that when we're baptized, we are planted in water. We are planted together in the likeness of his death. So those are some of the scriptures in the New Testament that indicate that you need more than just a sprinkle of water. Much water, into the water, out of the water, buried in water, planted in water. Now let's take a look at all of the scriptures that uh, we see in the New Testament for uh, rantizo, which is... um, sprinkling water on somebody. We, we know there are several scriptures that tell us about being immersed when we're baptized. That's baptizo. But in the Greek, rantizo, sprinkling. Uh, where are the scriptures that tell us that sprinkling is a mode of baptism? And the answer is there are absolutely no scriptures where rantizo is used to refer to baptism. And so we learn something very important just by reading through the pages of Scripture. One method, one mode of baptism is biblically correct, and one is not biblically correct. When you read Scripture, not church tradition, not the ideas of man, not a particular denomination, but when you stick with the Bible, the Word of God, we learn very quickly and very clearly, baptism must be done by immersion in water. So that's the mode of baptism, what we do. It's very clear in scripture that the mode of baptism should be being immersed in water. And now we look at the formula of baptism. The mode is what we do when we're baptized. The formula is what we say when we get baptized. And basically, again, in Christendom today, there are two major ideas on the formula for baptism. Some people baptize in the name of Jesus Christ. Others baptize using this phrase, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And so again... We want to bypass church tradition, the ideas of men, the concepts of denominations, and we want to go straight to the word of God because God gives us his plan of salvation in his word. And so when we look at the scripture, we take a tour of the New Testament, particularly the book of Acts, the history of the church, and here's what we see. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 38 Peter addresses a group of Jews and he tells them, be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ. So the Jews were baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. In Acts 8 verse 16, we now move to a different group of people, the Samaritans. And the Bible says they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So once again, First, the Jews are baptized in the name of Jesus. Now, the Samaritans are baptized in the name of Jesus. And now we go to Acts chapter 10. This time, it's the Gentile household of a man named Cornelius. And there, 
Peter commands them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. So the Jews were baptized in the name of Jesus. The Samaritans were baptized in his name. And the Gentiles were baptized in his name. We fast forward to uh, Acts chapter 19. And here, uh, Paul comes across a group of believers. They are Ephesians. And they have been baptized according to John's baptism. These people were wonderful, believing people. They were baptized by the same man who baptized Jesus. They were baptized by John or one of his disciples. So they were baptized by the guy who baptized Jesus. They were also baptized unto John's baptism. They were baptized the same way that Jesus himself had been baptized. John's baptism was called a baptism unto repentance. And yet when Paul meets these believers in Acts chapter 19, he commands them to be baptized, rebaptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Acts 19 verse 5, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Why? Because now that Jesus had died, had buried, had been buried and had risen again, the way of salvation, God's plan of salvation was active and open for everyone. So baptism was no longer just a a baptism of repentance. Now it is a baptism unto salvation. It is New Testament church baptism. And so we see here that if the Ephesians who were believers, if the Ephesians who've been baptized according to John's baptism, if these good people, if these believers needed to be rebaptized, obviously the emphasis of the book of Acts is that baptism in the name of Jesus is very important. In fact, it's critical. Peter taught in Acts 4.12, he said, neither is there salvation in any other. There's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Peter said, you only get saved in that one name. And Paul taught Colossians chapter 3 verse 17. Whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. If you're going to do anything for God, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. I've often said to people, you know, if you're going to pray over your cornflakes in the morning in the name of Jesus, then surely when it comes to something as important as baptism, you would think I need to do that in the name of Jesus. Whatever you do in word or in deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. And so when we look through scripture, we see several places where baptism in the name of Jesus Christ is emphasized. In fact, it is commanded. In fact, it's so important that they even re-baptize people to make sure they are baptized correctly. When we look at the other practice that we see in modern Christendom, people being baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. When we look at scripture, we see no references to that formula of baptism. Nowhere in your Bible is anyone baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. No one uses that phrase to baptize anybody. 
And so looking honestly at scripture, we understand that baptism must be done by immersion in water. That's the mode, but it also must be done in the name of Jesus. That is the formula for baptism. Now, one very common and very good question that arises sometimes is, well, Pastor Raymond, what about Matthew 28 and 19? Because Matthew 28 and 19 actually seems to say that they should be baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. That was what we call the Great Commission of Jesus. We read it just a few moments ago. And I'm grateful to address that scripture because it's very important that we understand it. First of all, Matthew 28, 19, Jesus is bidding farewell to his disciples. He is on a mountain. There's no water there. No one is being baptized in Matthew 28 and 19. There's no water there up on that mountain. They're not baptizing anybody. But more importantly, the word name in Matthew 28, 19 is singular in the name of the father, the son, and the Holy ghost father, son, and Holy ghost are titles or offices. Those titles don't have any authority. They simply describe the one name. Uh, the illustration has often been used. I am a father. I am a son of my dad and I have a personality. I am father, son, and personality, father, son, spirit. And yet I'm not three, I am one. And so in the same way, the name is singular. It is the name of the father. It is the name of the son, and it is the name of the Holy Ghost. Jesus was the one who said, I and my father are one. Jesus, the son of God that we talk about, He said, I'm the same as the father. If you've seen me, you've seen the father. And he said to his disciples, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you talking about when they would receive the Holy Spirit. You see the father, the son, and the Holy Spirit, they're all one. So it's one name that we are baptized in. Thirdly, Matthew did not write the words that we read in chapter 28 and verse 19 until he wrote his gospel in A.D. 62, 30 years after the day of Pentecost. For 30 years, every baptism in the New Testament, every baptism in the book of Acts has been in the name of the Lord Jesus. Matthew didn't suddenly rebel and say, well, wait a minute, I'm going to campaign for a new kind of baptismal formula. That is not what is going on here. Rather, Matthew is writing his gospel to the Jews. And because he writes to the Jews, his approach is unique. And what he intends to do in Matthew 28, 19, when he is recording the last great commission of Jesus, he wants to make sure that the Jews know that the Jesus, that the church has been preaching for three decades, he was the father in creation. He was the son of God who died on the cross, crucified by their own Sanhedrin and the Romans. And he also wants them to know that this same Jesus has been the Holy Spirit that has filled and empowered the church for more than 30 years. So when Matthew records 
about Jesus' commission to baptize. He's wanting to give a little theological lesson to his Jewish audience. And he says, for 30 years, we have obeyed the great commission of Jesus. We have baptized in the name, singular, of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And finally, if I say to you, go to the store and get some milk, and you look back at me and say, go to the store and get some milk, we're at an impasse because all you're doing is repeating my command. You aren't obeying my command. And so we don't have any milk because you just keep repeating my command. Please notice that the apostles who all stood together on the day of Pentecost, that first great day of church history, they didn't just repeat Jesus' command. They obeyed Jesus' command. He said, go baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And so they did it. They obeyed. They knew what he meant. They knew what he intended. And so every baptism in the New Testament is in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ after the day of Pentecost. Every single baptism. It's an important thing to realize that there's only one right formula for baptism. There's only one way to be baptized. It's so eternally crucial that if you're not sure how you were baptized, if you don't remember how you were baptized, you need to be like those Ephesian believers in Acts chapter 19. And you need to find a preacher and you need to be re-baptized in the only saving name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You need to make sure that they put you under the water in immersion, just like the scripture said, because there's nothing more important to get correct than your obedience to God's plan of salvation. And I want to tell you that this isn't something you need to kind of think about, ponder, consider, wait on. You see, when you look at the the record of scripture, There are no delayed baptisms in the New Testament. If you read the language of scripture, it says they were baptized the same day. That's Acts 2. The same hour. That's Acts 16. Immediately they were baptized. That's Acts 9. He commanded them to be baptized. That's Acts 10. And Acts 22, 16 says, why tarriest thou? What are you waiting for? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. That's the record of scripture when it comes to the timing of your baptism. If you've repented of your sins, don't wait, don't delay. Make sure you do it today, the same day, the same hour. Immediately, he commanded them. And my favorite, what are you waiting for? Why tarriest thou? Why would you wait to be baptized in the beautiful, powerful, and saving name of the Lord Jesus Christ? Now, this next little section I want to cover with you is so important and meaningful to me. And it's such a joy to share with you. Because when you get baptized, something happens to you. Baptism is not just a religious ritual. Baptism is not just some custom that we do. 
And please let me say that baptism doesn't make you part of East Wind. It doesn't make you part of any other church congregation. We do not baptize for church membership. Baptism has nothing to do with church membership. Baptism has everything to do with obedience to the gospel. And we choose to preach the message first preached on the birthday of the church in Acts 2. Repent and be baptized. Every one of you. It's for everyone in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. So I'd like to look for just a few more moments. What happens when I am baptized? When I go through this mode of being immersed in water and this formula of having the name of Jesus called over me in baptism, what actually happens? Well, scripture is beautiful on this point and powerful. The scripture that we just referred to, Acts 22 and 16. And now why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Or literally, having the name of the Lord invoked over you. That's what happens when we baptize somebody in Jesus' name. But notice, wash away thy sins. When you are baptized, your sins are remitted or washed away. There are probably a half a dozen ways you could go with that word remission. <clears throat> you know, we all know about diseases like cancer. And it's a good day when the doctor comes in and says to somebody, <clears throat> your cancer is in remission. What he means is it's no longer having an active effect on your body. It's in remission. When your sins are remitted, there is something that happens at that moment that is so very powerful. At that moment, your sins are washed away. They cease to be active on your legal record before God. They are remitted. And I'm so very grateful. Wash away your sins. I've often said this, that, you know, if, if I came in here to this building and uh, I stumbled and I had an inkwell in my hand and I, I got dark ink all over the carpet here, beautiful, nice carpet, and now there's a big black blotch of ink on it. And if I went to Pastor Jack here at our church and I said, oh, Pastor Jack, I'm so sorry. Please forgive me because I spilled ink on the carpet and there's a huge blotch there. Please forgive me. And if he was gracious and said, well, I forgive you. Now what I've done is I've repented for my actions. I've repented for spilling the ink and he's been gracious enough to forgive me. That's what repentance is like. But if I then thought, you know what? That stain is still there. And I went and hired some carpet cleaners and I got them to come and they worked at this carpet until there was not even a shadow of that old stain there. That's the washing away of your sins. Repentance allows God to forgive you of your sins. Baptism goes a step further. 
What baptism does is it washes away. It remits the record of your sins legally in God's sight. That's why you see in the New Testament, repent and be baptized. Repentance and the remission of sins. These two processes go together. They're not meant to be experienced separately. Once you repent, you should be baptized. At baptism, according to Acts 22.16, my sins are washed away. What a privilege that is. Peter, he gets into the act. The same preacher that preached the sermon on the day of Pentecost, when he writes a letter, probably 30 years later, he says this, the like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us. And then in the brackets here in this verse, he gives us a definition. He said, baptism is not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but it is the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Peter just said a mouthful there. And what I want to emphasize for you today is Peter tells us that when I'm baptized, Because I know the word of God. And because I know God has washed away my sins. My sins are in remission. Peter said baptism is not just putting away the filth of the flesh. It's not an outward ceremonial act. It's not like taking a bath. No, it is something that happens inside. Baptism is a physical action with spiritual consequences. When you are baptized, your conscience is cleansed from past guilt. It is the answer of a good conscience toward God. That is what baptism does for us. I don't know about you, but I'm so grateful for the day that I got to be baptized in Jesus' name. I was only 12 years old when I was baptized. To this day, I remember coming out of the waters of baptism And just feeling clean. My little 12 year old world. The only way I know how to tell you. Is it looked totally different. I looked at the people in that little church that night. And they looked different. Everything seemed different. I was clean. My conscience had been cleansed. That's what baptism does for us. Paul says in Galatians. That as many of you as have been baptized into Christ, you have put on Christ. You see, when you are baptized in Jesus name, you put on, you take on the only saving name, Jesus Christ. When you are baptized, you literally are immersed in his name. You literally take on his name. I have often said, You know, the Bible tells us that baptism puts us into Christ. And the same scripture tells us that the Holy Ghost is God's spirit being put into us. So baptism puts me in Christ and the Holy Ghost is Christ in me, the hope of glory. They work together. It's beautiful. Baptism is where I take on, I put on the only saving name. Of Jesus. That happens when you're baptized. Romans 6, verse 3 and 4, Paul says, Know ye not that so many of us, 
as we're baptized into Jesus Christ, we were baptized into his death. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death. That's an important phrase. We are buried with him by baptism into death. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. This is so important. We learned when we talked about repentance. Repentance is applying the death of Jesus to my life. I die to my old life in a way like he died on the cross. He died for my sins and so I choose to die to my old sinful life. Repentance applies the death of Jesus to me. But baptism goes to that next step. And when I am baptized in Jesus' name, I am baptized into his death. I am buried with him. It's just like I go into the tomb with him. When I'm baptized, I apply the burial of Jesus Christ to my life. It's beautiful. Now, if you know anything about Judaism... And if you know anything about some of the law of Moses in the Old Testament, you know that the Jews had a custom of circumcision for every male child that was born. And circumcision on the eighth day of that baby's life was the way they were legally brought into God's covenant with Israel. Well, fast forward to the New Testament. And Paul begins to talk about a new kind of circumcision. It's not a physical surgery. It's a spiritual act. Watch this. Colossians chapter 2. In whom also you are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. It's a spiritual operation, not a physical surgery. You are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands in putting off the body of sins, of the sins of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ. So the parallel is pretty obvious. Just like physical circumcision removes flesh, spiritual circumcision removes the body of the sins of our flesh. It literally is like a spiritual surgery done on our hearts. And Paul calls this, not the circumcision of the law of Moses. He says, it is the circumcision of Christ. Now the translators into English, they wisely put a colon at the end of that verse. Because the next verse is going to explain and amplify what Paul just said. He says, this is the circumcision of Christ colon. What is the circumcision of Christ? Buried with him in baptism, wherein also you are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead. Circumcision of Christ is baptism in Jesus name. The circumcision of Christ is being buried with Jesus by baptism. 
Do you understand what happens when you are baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? It's not magic water. It's not anything supernatural about the preacher. It's not anything profound about your religious decision at that moment. No, but when your old life goes down into that ordinary water, but in that supernatural name of Jesus Christ, when your sins come into contact with the covenant name of Jesus, there's no contest. A spiritual operation is performed. A spiritual heart surgery is performed. And you are cut off from your old sins and your old life. And legally in God's sight, you enter into covenant with him when you are baptized in Jesus' name. Just a cursory reading of the scripture will let you know that in the Old Testament with the Jewish family, no circumcision, no covenant. And Paul makes the same comparison here in the New Testament. Without baptism, there is no covenant. Baptism in Jesus' name is spiritual circumcision. It is absolutely essential to be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. It legally brings you into God's covenant. And finally, Jesus had a conversation with Nicodemus at night. Nicodemus was an elder. He was an esteemed elder of the Jews. He was an educated man. He was a religious man. And he knew much about Jewish theology and religion and the scripture. But Jesus looked at that elder of the Jewish faith and he said, Verily, verily, truly, truly, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. You see, when I am baptized into Jesus name, it's the first part of that. Nicodemus knew all about Jewish theology. He knew that the Jews had something called mikveh. It was Uh, ceremonial religious washings where they would immerse their bodies in these huge uh, tanks built for that purpose. They dotted the, the streets around the temple complex because people had to be ceremonially immersed in water. Nicodemus was very familiar with that. But Jesus said, there's a different reason to be buried in water. And you need to to be born of the water, that's baptism, and born of the Spirit, that's the Holy Ghost baptism. And without that, Jesus said, you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. When I am baptized in Jesus' name, I am born of the water. It is part of my new birth experience. It is a beautiful and sacred and precious and powerful privilege to be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, I told you in our last session, repentance is a wonderful experience. It's powerful in and of itself, but it is not the end. And in the same way, baptism is a precious and powerful experience that takes us far beyond repentance in our obedience to the word of God. And like repentance, baptism accomplishes so much in our spiritual lives. And yet, baptism, as powerful as it is, 
It is not the end. It is not a stop sign. It is not a dead end. It is a step in obeying the gospel. The Bible often puts repentance and baptism. Repent and be baptized. Repentance and the remission of sins. It puts these two things together. Why? Because these are the two steps that we can do. We can choose to repent. We can choose to be baptized. You don't have to understand all the theology behind baptism to get baptized in Jesus' name. I often have compared baptism to getting married. It's been, oh my, it's been well over 35 years that I stood at an altar with my dear wife, Beverly, and we looked at each other, and in about two seconds, we said, I do. And I like to laugh with people and say, and I have spent the rest of my life figuring out what happened to me and what I promised and the covenant I entered into in that five seconds. Baptism is very similar. I was baptized in Jesus' name when I was 12 years of age. I didn't understand everything that I've shared with you in this session. I didn't know that baptism was New Testament circumcision. My little 12-year-old brain would have had a hard time figuring that one out, I promise you. I didn't know that baptism was being buried with Christ. I just knew that the word of God said that I needed to be baptized in Jesus' name. All I knew in my 12-year-old brain was, if I'm baptized in Jesus' name, the Bible says, it will wash away my sins. That's all I needed to know. Over the last decades of marriage, I figured out a whole lot happened when I said I do at that altar. And over the last 40 some years of serving Jesus, I figured out a lot about baptism. Every time I learn something new, every time I turn a page of scripture and I see a verse, and I think, oh my goodness, that happened when I was baptized. I just chalk it up to that experience that happened way back when I was only 12 years of age. You don't have to understand completely to obey immediately. There's a blessing in simply obeying the word of God. I encourage you, in fact, to use a Bible word, I exhort you to obey the gospel and to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Because if you repent... And if you are baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins, there's one more piece to this. There's one more part. There's one more element in the way. And that is you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And that's what I want to talk to you about in our final session. But before we end tonight, I would like to pray for you if you'd allow me. Lord Jesus, I thank you for everyone that is watching this now and everyone that will watch it later. I thank you for the wonderful church family at Eastwind. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are so gracious that you would allow us a plan of salvation, a a way that we could come to you and be part of your family here and be part of that holy heaven for all eternity. Jesus, I pray for somebody that religious tradition 
has gotten between them and simple obedience to your word. And they may have some questions tonight because they've heard it explained differently. Maybe they were baptized in a different way. Maybe they were baptized by being sprinkled with water or maybe they were baptized with something different being said over them. Lord Jesus, I pray for them tonight that you would uh, touch their heart. Let them first see how critically important this is in your word. And then Jesus, grant them the courage to simply obey. They do not have to understand completely to obey immediately. I pray for my friends that have watched this tonight. Let their steps be ordered in your word. I pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.